Well, the third address from the Advent Angels, that's the title of our Advent series for the season, and we are now in the third one of these addresses coming from the angels, and our scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Step with me for a moment into a world. 2,000 years ago, when a young tradesman by the name of Joseph, who was engaged to be married, but, but something unbelievable happened. Joseph's bride-to-be, Mary, was already pregnant. What in the world was going to happen now? Imagine Joseph's incredible disappointment and heartbreak. His dreams of marriage to this young girl 
that he was betrothed to, engaged to. Here she is now with a child that's not his. His dreams of marriage are shattered. And no doubt, he's probably feeling anger arising in his heart, a sense of betrayal. Furthermore, his whole reputation going forward would be ruined unless he divorced Mary for her obvious, quote, infidelity. There seemed to be no other way out. This is the only thing that could, he could do. So here's Joseph in this predicament, heartbroken and betrayed. How in the world is he going to respond to this? He could have taken the road that most people would have taken in that circumstance. But even before the angel came, Joseph went down a different path. Heartbroken and betrayed. But should he publicly shame her? Was that the card that he was going to play? No. Her explanation of the pregnancy was to him inconceivable, unbelievable, even blasphemous. And yet, Joseph chose the path of mercy. He did not go down the road that would have been well-traveled. The text, remember, said Joseph was a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame. At this point, as far as he knew, she had been with somebody else, as far as he knew at this point, but he was not willing to throw her into that situation, he resolved to divorce her very privately and quietly so that no one would know. Before any divine explanation, Joseph chose mercy. Now, there is an explanation, as we know in the text, coming. But at that point in time, this upright, righteous man showed mercy. You know, maybe you've never been in a position quite like Joseph. Um, Not many people. Only one has been in that particular predicament. But... You may not have ever been wronged 
by another person, but most of us have. Most of us have been wronged. And how do we deal with that when someone wrongs us unjustly? There's a story told about two friends traveling through the desert. And these two friends were walking through the desert And unfortunately, they got in a fight. They got into, well, an argument. Let's say it that way. They got into an argument. And one of them slapped the other one in the face. I'm sure that hurt. It certainly hurt his feelings, and it probably was stinging his cheek. And yet, ironically... This friend that had slapped his friend, this one who got slapped, as I said, was hurt, but he ended up doing something really interesting. He wrote in the sand this statement. Today, my best friend slapped me in the face. Now, as time went on, these two guys apparently more or less got over it, and they had a long way to go, and they continued their journey. And they came upon an oasis, uh, which would normally be a good thing, except in this case, um, the guy that got slapped ended up uh, getting into a bog into, um, and got stuck in the mire and was in danger of drowning. And his friend, the one that had slapped him previously, was able to save him and get him out of the bog. That night, the friend, the one that got slapped, the friend wrote this time on a stone. And it said this, Today, my best friend saved my life. Now, you can imagine the, the slapper <laughs> and, the, and the one that saved his friend from his demise. He was re- probably really confused at this point. And that night, the friend who had slapped his friend asked him, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, now you write on the stone." Why? And his friend replied, When someone hurts us, we should write it in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it On a stone where it will be long remembered. That's the way it should be. Let the winds of forgiveness take away. And yet remember far longer and better and well. When we are shown that kind of Remembrance, that kind of mercy. 
So, we know that after Joseph had made this commitment to do the right thing and protect Mary, the angel came to visit him. And the result of that visitation and its message was not just a discreet mercy, but a willingness on the part of Joseph to embrace the unthinkable. He knew this was going to pull him into a situation in which he and his bride-to-be were going to be ridiculed. They were going to be the laughing stock. They were going to be but a butt of jokes. The butt of jokes. Joseph took her as wife and he embraced her nonetheless with what appeared to be her shame and disgrace and he took it not only for her but as his own. And he became her and the child's protector. He could have backed out. Let it all fall on her, but no. He did that. And you know who else did that? You're in my God. For us. You see, that's the mindset and the heart of Of the gospel of our God. The father of the prodigal. You know the story, Luke 15. Go home and read it again. The father ultimately ends up shaming himself. Running with his robe picked up to get to his son. That was a shameful thing. And yet he was willing to be shamed himself in order to. To bring his son back home. This is Joseph acting like father, like son. Now, that's the address that was to show to Joseph. But there's something else that the angel has to tell Joseph. The address about salvation. The address first came To Joseph, now the address from the angel is about salvation. In Joseph's dream, that's how it came to be, God gave Joseph a glimpse of his divine plan. He's going to show Joseph something that no one up till that point fully understood. And I'm sure... Joseph, there were probably aspects. Of course, he didn't have it all, but he was going to show him part of the plan. God told Joseph that Mary's son would save, S-A-V-E, save his people from their sins. That's how God's great plan is going to unfold. He's going to save and deliver his people from all of their folly and sin. In fact, the name Jesus, of course, as you know, 
is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is translated, the Lord is salvation, or the Savior. The Savior. Jesus comes as the one who will deliver and will save us. He is the one that will be our salvation. Not coming from any other place or any other direction, but only through him. Now, from his name, we learn that Jesus' mission on earth was, as the text said, to save his people from their sins. You and I have got a problem. The whole world's got a problem. And without Jesus... There is no salvation from our sins. And yet that's the specific point for which he came. Jesus came to earth to redeem us, to buy back us. We who have failed and sinned and cast ourselves into a miserable condition. Jesus came to earth to redeem us and buy us back. But in order to redeem something, guess what? A price has to be paid. Someone needs to come up with the cash, with the cost. And for us, that is an insurmountable cost for us. And yet Jesus came into this world to pay the price of sin that we, the guilty ones, might go free. To show you how redemption, deliverance works. How a story is told, and this is a true story apparently. Back in uh, 1965, the uh, Dodgers, who have fallen a little bit uh, off the wagon for a while. But back then, 65, they were the champs. Uh, They won the World Series in 65, and the hero uh, for the Dodgers was a man named Lou Johnson. And he had the, the, um, um, you know, got all of the the trophies, all the, the way they did it at that time. And yet, unfortunately, this guy had some bad habits. And got in some bad circumstances. And for 30 years, he was trying to recover his championship ring that he lost to the drug dealers in 1971. Uh, And the drug and alcohol abuse, it cost him almost every relic and everything that he had been given. And including his uniform, his glove, his bat that he used to hit the winning home run for the Dodgers. Now, many years later, the current president, I think his name, I can't pronounce it probably, uh, Graziano, Graziano, Bob Graziano, when he was president, he learned And found out that Johnson's World Series ring was about to be auctioned on the internet. 
had come that far that we, the internet was a thing at that time. And he knew that it found out it was going to be auctioned. And he immediately wrote out a check for $3,457. And then he bought the ring before anyone else could get a post on it. He took it before anyone else could get to it. What was he doing? He was buying back. He was redeeming. He was saving something for Johnson. He did for Johnson what the Dodger outfielder could not do for himself. See, that's me and you. That's the salvation that Jesus brings to sinners that repent and believe. That's what he does. We can't buy ourselves out of that predicament any more than Johnson could. It takes a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. You see, in the same way, God has done that for us. What we were unable to do for ourselves. And yet, people continue day in, day out, all over the world, thinking there's some other way that they can get up to that stairway to heaven. That they can somehow get to that place where they want to be, and yet they think they have got to find the way to do it. And they're hopeless and helpless, though they think that they're not. You see, Jesus paid the full and final price for our sins with his blood and bought us, ransomed us back into the mercy and grace of God. It was something that he alone could do. He is the only Savior of the world. There's only one and there are no others. There are pretenders everywhere. There are hopefuls abounding. But there is only one Jesus that will save us from our sins. You see, if you notice in verses 22 and 23 of our scripture reading, listen again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And that was, by the way, Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The choir just so apropos uh, that. I wonder how that happened. I'm sure it was just a coincidence that that Emmanuel that 
It was so beautifully done, and I, I love that piece. Uh, that's telling the story of what God did. What is it all about? You see, long ago, the prophet was telling him that God was not done with Judah. Things were looking, in Isaiah's time, they were looking very, very bleak for Judah. And yet, he says, God's not done yet. He's up to something. Something you're not going to believe. Not You can't even imagine a virgin will conceive a child. And that child will be Emmanuel. You see, his promise to David is still in effect. It was in coming into play in the coming of Jesus. And it's in play now for all in any who will come to Jesus and Jesus alone, trusting in him for salvation. Notice also that Joseph would be passive in this coming salvation of God. Joseph wasn't going to be taking apart. This was all of God. This is what God was doing, not what men and women can do. He would have no part in it but to wait for God to bring the deliverance, the ransom, the forgiveness of sins. Why is it, as I've already alluded to, why is it that women and men keep thinking they can find salvation on their own terms? What folly. What absurdity. Salvation is of the Lord and none other. There is no other one but Jesus. He is the one and only, the Redeemer, Emmanuel, our Savior. You see, that was the address of the angel to Joseph back then and still today. The address is, come to Emmanuel. Come and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Receive it. Believe it. Embrace it. That's all you can do. That's all you have to do. Receive. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. Even those Believe on his name, the name of Emmanuel, God with us. You see, when you do that, when you receive Jesus and Jesus only, you know the salvation that God brings near to you wherever you are and wherever you will be. Remember the carol. Oh, hear the Christmas angels. Their great glad tidings tell. Oh, come with us. Abide with us. 
our Lord, Emmanuel. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Father, how can it be for 2,000 years ago so many have tried to find another path, have tried to work it out on their own and through their own efforts or through their partial efforts. But Father, your son came to complete and to do it all, to finish it, to come as our Emmanuel and the one who would set us free from all of our sin, the Savior and the only Savior of the world, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, may in this Advent season and in Christmas time, we've heart let our hearts be filled with great joy of so great a salvation that has come to us. Abide with us, O oh Lord, our Emmanuel. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.